Hello and welcome to the Aussie Nerds podcast. I'm Daniel and today Umish has brought in Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Hi guys. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman is my favorite film of all time. Um, There's just so much, so many layers to the film um, in terms of uh, like, the visual storytelling motifs allegory there's a lot of mythological references um so yeah i just love so many aspects i um i love yeah. superhero movies in general um as long as they're you know done well uh but what the what uh this movie realized when what the other dc movies didn't until shazam is that these movies are for children and I really appreciate that Wonder Woman is really some, someone that uh, you feel like little girls can look up to. Yeah, the, um, the other DC films, uh, it started with Man of Steel. Then you had Batman v Superman. Then you had Suicide Squad. Then it was Wonder Woman and then Justice League, Aquaman, and then Shazam. And um, I think what, it was really necessary for Wonder Woman to have um, this this kind of approach to the, to the filmmaking because with Superman and Batman, there've been so many uh, previous iterations of the characters. So people have a familiarity with them. Whereas um, except for like in America, I think there's more awareness of the Wonder Woman character. Um, So perhaps, yeah. In America, she's known as, part of the trio of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, people yeah, didn't Trinity. know about her so much. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, mythology and sort of, um, uh, sort of, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, like um, awkwardness around the character a little bit uh, because of uh, like the, the character names around the like the supporting characters from her her, her home island have these weird unusual names that are that people are not really familiar with so it's a lot to take in um for for someone who's not familiar with it yeah because um it's based on the amazons and that mythology Zeus created humans they and then also created the amazons to guide the humans so yeah, I, the, yeah. There's there's also uh, the the Wonder Woman character was um, actually from the 1940s. So the character's been around for very long, um, and she's never actually been brought to the big screen before. Um, the first time she was in a live action film was um, in Batman v Superman, where they had sort of like an extended cameo for the character. So um, in terms of animation and um, obviously comics, she's been in, in um, uh, continuous publication almost from the beginning, from the 1940s. So there's, there's this massive um, uh, number of storylines and different origins that the character has um, that's never been put um, into the larger sort of um, discussion in terms of cinema. 
So uh, whereas like with Batman, we've had uh, Batman stories. Uh, I think there's about eight Batman title films. Um, there's Batman 89, um, then the Batman Returns, uh, Batman and Robin, um, the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Batman v Superman as well. Um, so yeah, there's been so many different Batman iterations. And then you've got Superman 1, 2, 3, 4, Superman Returns. Um, you've also got Man of Steel um, and Batman v Superman. Superman's also in the title of that movie. <laughs> so I mean, the, 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 these other characters have gotten so much. And she's really on the same level in terms of the amount of writing that's been around the character. And, but she's never had the chance to get onto the big screen. So... Yeah, it's 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 interesting because she's got this this uh, this uh, weird sort of uh, mythology and a lot of uh, it's quite a lot of uh, exotic names and things. And I think it was very important for them to, um, in terms of making this film, to try and make it as accessible as possible to get the word out there. Uh, whereas I think with Man of Steel, I think they were trying to be a bit more ambitious in terms of, you know, people have known the character from the seventies at least. Um, and there've been so many iterations. So it's, it's the characters perhaps a little bit stale um, for, for certain for certain people. And it was interesting to see them take the character in a new direction. Uh, it's maybe not to everyone's taste. Also with Batman v Superman, um, also going into a very dark um, sort of storyline with that particular character, but it, it actually, it suits the character of Batman being such a dark character. And if you go back to, like the 1930s to 40s uh, comics, the, that Batman is a very dark character. That Batman um, killed so, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. In the comics, he did. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's. But I mean, yeah. In terms of Batman killing, he's he has killed in in basically every film that he's ever been in, except the George Clooney one. And but, yeah, um, people. People people joke that uh, George Clooney killed the franchise. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, George Clooney was trying to do uh, the 1990s Batman. Yeah. And that didn't work because it wasn't funny. Wonder Woman uh, was a great counter to like all the darkness, literally like all the dark filters. You have these bright Amazonian uh, landscapes and all the fighting really works and they're training. And she was like, I, but I want to fight. And she's like, no, I made you out of clay. And I'm like, what? You kept that bullshit? I love it. Come to yeah, so the, the, yeah, in terms of the, the look and feel, there's definitely quite a bit of variety in Wonder Woman. Um, if we look at the, um, the settings, um, they are, uh, let me just go to my notes here quickly. Um, they rec- so, the, the, yeah, they start off in um, Paradise Island. So um, called Themyscira, and that's obviously a, a tropical um, environment. Lots of bright sun, uh, vibrant blues and oranges. The skin tones are like warm. Um, so you've got that particular look. Um, and then they switch into London, and that is sort of a, a darker, murkier looking um, tone. And then they head from there towards um, Belgium, towards the front. And then towards the end, they go to, um, there's the gala scene, which is sort of like a couple of scenes that are tied together. And then after that is the airfield. So you've got, 
you're starting out in paradise where there's um, no mankind, uh, like men, basically. Um, then you sh shift to um, the modern world, which is London. Um, so you've got the pollution and the smoke and the smog. And um, so it's, it's kind of funny when Diana arrives there, she says, oh, this is hideous. <laughs> and um, then she goes and she sees all these little things in London. You know, she goes, uh, she sees a baby for the first time. And um, then she goes clothes shopping and she sees all these weird things that people wear. And, um, and then towards the end of that um, London sequence, um, you've got um, them leaving and she sees this, um, this guy selling ice cream at the station <laughs> and Which she has ice cream. Wonder Woman thing in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Loves ice cream. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so like uh, she starts off in London as it's hideous and then she leaves London and she has ice cream and it's wonderful, you know? So it's like, um, so she, she sees mankind away from the war and then you have this transition at the port. Um, when she sees the soldiers coming back from the war, the, guys that are wounded um, and have shell shock and yeah you can see that the war has affected these people and then that switches into the next gear into um, them actually going to the front um, and then obviously it's people at war you see the civilians fleeing from war um, and the soldiers in the trenches and then she goes and she frees the town and you have this heroic moment you know <laughs> um, and then after after uh, Diane and Steve, they connect, um, then they leave off and they go to the gala. And then you see, so, so that, that, that previous section up to um, them rescuing Val, that is sort of like a, um, a looking at the, the impact of war on humanity, you know, um, on the, the, the normal people, the, the people on ground level. And then you go to the gala and you see the aristocracy and these are the people that are benefiting from war. They probably own the companies that are making the machines that are killing people. And you see this other side of war, you know? And um, yeah, there's like a couple of lines, like what are we celebrating here? You know, when Diana is talking to Ludendorff. And um, so, yeah, you, you see these different sides of war. And then at the end, um, she goes to the airfield and that's where everything um, comes to a head so yeah you can see uh, this progression from um a world the paradise without mankind um then steve crashes he brings the war to them then she goes to london uh, which is mankind away from war then you go to the front which is mankind in the midst of war then you go to the gala which is um mankind but this this the way that society is structured you can see some people are benefiting from the war and they are basically unaffected by it. And they might even be celebrating certain aspects of it. And then you've got the ending, you know. So I, I think it's like just incredibly, like in terms of the structure of the film, I just love it. I, I really like it. I like that um, she has the God killer and, she, and throughout the entire movie, she thinks that stopping the war is as simple as, if I stab him, it'll be fine. Yeah, so um, the, the, I've been making some notes. So um, in terms of symbolism, the sword is um, something that symbolizes a delusion. So something that Diana, it's a false belief that she holds. Um, and yeah, so the, the war is 
there's there's this allegorical level to the the film as well um uh, you might have heard of the the Cherokee legend of the two wolves um, uh, tell me about it i I don't have it like crystallized in my mind, but basically this um, old man tells his grandson that um, there are, there's this vicious war between two wolves and um, the one is good and the one is bad and um, it embodies these different things of um, like kindness, compassion um, and love and all these positive attributes and you've got uh, the negative attributes that are attributed to the other wolf, like jealousy, suspicion, um, viciousness and stuff. And these two wolves are in a battle. And then um, the, the traditional, like the, the internet version of the story is that the, uh, the, the boy asks his grandfather, so, so which, one, which wolf is going to win? And then uh, the grandfather replies, uh, the one that you feed. And Ooh, that's um, good. It is good, but that's not the real Cherokee legend. Um, the, in the real Cherokee legend, um, the grandfather says that the wolves need to acknowledge each other because there's a time for you to be um, to be kind and good and um, like compassionate and and there's a time for you to be strong and vicious and so you have to acknowledge both sides and then. In the situation, you have to decide on what is the best wolf to use, and so it's a much more nuanced look at um, at the psychology of of the human. You know, like people have a dark side and a and a light side, and to pretend that the dark side doesn't exist is just going to allow that to always be sneaking behind you. You know, and can pounce on you and take over you at any time. So there's a danger in ignoring the darkness. And I think that's what the Wonder Woman film does. It acknowledges the darkness. Um, there's, there's no perfect characters in the film. Um, everyone has flaws. And so you've got um, the it, it sort of towards the, the, the climax of the film really is uh, when, when um, after Steve um, takes the plane up and blows it up, um, Diana goes into this rage. And um, like the first time you're watching the film, or for me at least, um, it was like, wow, she's like going all full God mode. But she's, um, she's basically letting the darkness take over her. And I've actually, I've read the original, well, the, the final shooting script. Mm-hmm. And um, in, the, in the script, they actually mention um, an, um, a VFX that they wanted to have for her eyes. So in that scene, her eyes were supposed to go sort of dark. Uh, were supposed to darken and that's uh, was going to be symbolizing how um Ares has corrupted her so She's like when about the war as well yes exactly and um so yeah i can i can kind of understand why they might not want to portray that in the film um especially wanting to appeal to like younger children as well maybe not to scare them and to like have it be too confusing for them to have her just be looking more normal you know like you've seen uh, these vampire diaries kind of stories where you've got uh, the sleral um, contact lenses that cover the eyes and it looks all black and evil and so I think that might have perhaps scared younger children and I think they wanted the film to appeal to as broad an audience because I think it's a very important film um, to as broad an audience as possible 
But yeah, if you look, if you pay attention in that scene where she's going all God mode, um, you do see her um, at the end of that um, she, the, sort of like a travelator sequence where she's like running forward at like super fast speed and punching people and they're going flying all over the place. And then she's like, um, she has her arms spread out sideways, um, which is kind of like a an homage to um, to Platoon, um, the the death of Sergeant Elias. I don't know if you're familiar with Platoon. Yeah, he's on um, his knees. He's uh, on his knees uh, and he's like he's in pain and like so. It's like uh, it's beautiful <laughs> that they that they would reference another war movie in that way. Uh, but this movie references a lot of things um, intentionally, I believe. Um, so you've got her going like that, and um, they cut to a matching shot of Ares in that same position, and he's like happy that this is happening. So you can see that she's losing herself. Um, she's losing her, uh, like her compassion, uh, like her compassion. She's basically taking out her rage on these soldiers that are sort of pawns in the in the system. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's. I've been like rambling now. <laughs> oh, I like it. Uh, so yeah, the uh, you 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 introduced something and I just started talking. <laughs> I, it's it's good content. I like it when that happens. <clears throat> so yes, yeah, so this has a lot of homages to other war movies, probably on purpose. Um, my favorite scene in the movie is the uh, No Man's Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think scene. that's that's a lot of lots of that's a lot of people's favorite uh, scene in the film, um, and it definitely was my favorite scene the first time I watched it. Probably the first like six times that I watched it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so what did you take from that scene? So like, what what did you like about it? So the shallow answer, the the obvious answer is the name, right? She's leading the men through the no man zone. And I saw uh, Lord of the Rings recently. And yeah. in that one, she, they're like, no man could do this, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I am no man. And then Wonder Woman, it's like, she didn't say it. And I'm like, thank you for not saying it. That yeah, I think it's the line and I would hate you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, they, they knew they, they wanted to pay homage to something, but not rip it off, you know, like directly. Um, and I think that was a, a classy move for them to steer away from that because it was obvious enough what was what was happening. You know, it's like um, in a lot of movies, people um, complain about exposition, and you want show, don't tell. You know, and um, I think in this particular movie, there's a lot of visual storytelling that that takes place, um, even in setting up No Man's Land. Um, like the very first scene of young Diana in, in Themyscira, you, you, you look at the image of the, the, the photograph mm-hmm. and you've got this transition and it, you see little Diana. So immediately that's visual storytelling. You've got this transition um, and it says that this little girl is Diana, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, it's a, a smart edit. Shot. It's a great match shot. And you then have, um, she... um, Bruce Wayne giving her the uh, photograph yeah, but then uh, you match shots, so you're like, okay, that's Diana, got it. Yeah, and and she's running towards camera, and in the background, um, her tutor shouts, Diana, 
you know, and that, that's exactly what happens when she climbs out of the trench, Steve shouts at her, Diana, and then she runs towards the, the camera, you know, and she's blocking bullets. So it's like fr- right from the first scene, like almost every scene has little elements that are built into um, that no man's land scene, you know? So like um, you've got, even on the boat scene, when um, Steve's, um, Diana says, uh, well, Steve says that they want to, Go to, he needs to take the notebook to London um, to, um, to the generals, to, to the men who can make a difference. You know, like we can't really make a difference in this war. Uh, there's not much you and I can do about it. But if I get to London, we can get to the, the men who can. And then Diana says, I'm the man who can. You know, so like she said that uh, I am no man sort of thing, but back, back on the boat, you know, she, she planted the seed of I am the man who can. And then when Steve says, no man can do it, you know, it's impossible. And when she climbs up, she, she shows, she doesn't tell, you know. So that's like really awesome. Yeah, it's that line when he's like, no man can do it, that you could have had her say, I am no man. And it's just would be like really cheesy and over the, and dumb. But like the fact that she's just like, no, I'll just do it. I don't care. I also appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. when she gives Emma the um her uh sword and shield to carry uh it's a candy yeah <laughs> i i, I love, love it oh it's etta not emma yeah okay. yeah 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 i i love uh, it she's yeah yeah it it is just like every every moment that she's on screen is just like perfect <laughs> yeah she's great comic relief uh because she just rolls with the punches she's like cool all right whatever <laughs> I so love yeah the, the way the way that they introduce Etta in the um, the lobby, um, she introduces herself to Diana, and um, then Diana doesn't know what a secretary is. And um, so, um, yeah, the way that Etta explains it, uh, she leaves out the part that she gets paid for her time, and she gets to leave at the end of the day. So she's not exactly a slave, but, but she's like, "Oh, but, so you're his slave?" Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the yeah these, these little these elements of it's a dialogue that um, yeah she mentions that they are um, they have to fight with their principles, and at the end of the war, uh, well at the end of the film at least, uh, when Diana is fighting um, Ares, he destroys the sword. So Diana has to fight with her principles to beat him. And she, she has to embrace um, her love and compassion for humanity. That's what drives her superpower, you know? So, like, it is fighting with her principles that allows her to um, neutralize um, Ares. So, like, Etta was, like, right back then. You know? <laughs> I, and, I, like, um, I like Etta. I like that she isn't, like, uh, traditionally, like, super skinny and... Uh, well, the way she, she's, is, she's like that in the comics. Um, her name is Etta Candy, and in the comics, she's like a very like she's from the very early days of comics, and everything was like super literal. So <laughs> she used to love eating candy. That's why her name was Etta Candy, and she was like overweight. But she, yeah, it would be interesting to see like another follow up film um, if they decide to do that, or like a like a TV series or something where they've got uh, Sammy. Um, Sammy uh, is one of the, the guys, uh, the guy who's the, the, the languages guy um, that Diana deals with um, in the bar. And um, Etta... Have a language um, of... Yeah, yeah. The Etta, Etta actually saves Diana in a couple of storylines from the comics. 
Um, so she like goes behind like enemy lines and like infiltrates a Nazi base and she like frees Dan. So like she's a pretty badass character as well. <laughs> Very campy in the, in the comics, but it would be cool to see her. Like I think I love Lucy Davis in the, in the role. She's like, she's so um, exuberant, you know. Uh, but it would be awesome to, to have her like reprise the role at some they're making a sequel it's called uh, they are making a sequel uh, one woman 84 but uh, yeah this this first film is set in 1918 so um 1984 is quite a few years afterwards so it might not be possible for them to have that same it's a candy character in like so far along down the line Um, i think she would probably be like in her 80s or something that's a good point but um yeah, I love it. Uh, actually, I love a lot of the supporting cast. Um, there's so much that's um, like in terms of Steve's crew, they they um, embody the the characteristics of humanity. You know, like everyone has their own problems and struggles, and that's sort of underscored by one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, where Sammy and Diana are talking after they've freed the village um, and they've taken the photograph and then uh, Sammy and Diana are standing on the side and she looks across at um, Charlie who's like, he failed to shoot. And um, then Sammy tells Diana, um, everyone's fighting their own battles, you know, like you don't always get to be who you want to be. And he wanted to be um, an actor, but he doesn't have the right skin color. You know, so it's like, and that's kind of still a problem in America, you know, like uh, certain, certain, it's changing now, thankfully, you know, with Black Panther and uh, Crazy Rich Asians and, and um, the big sick. Uh, there's, there's a lot of diversity coming into roles and the way that people are portrayed as well in cinema. Plus, um, they, but, um, yeah. plus they're recasting uh, white characters as other yeah. as well like the they yeah. just announced the new little mermaid yeah um, yeah um Halle bailey yeah Halle bailey which i thought yeah. was uh when I first saw, yeah i thought it was Halle berry as well yeah. <laughs> when i first saw when i first saw uh, uh, the the pop-up notification coming on my on my computer it's like is Halle berry isn't she like too old to be to be played I, I, I like, isn't she meant to be like 16 and then someone's like this actress is like 19 i'm like oh never mind yeah <laughs> i wonder if she was named after Halle berry oh that would be I, i'll that ask be, her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the, yeah so, so like um yeah, everyone's fighting their own battles that also ties to this psychological battle you know like um Diana, at the end of the film, she's fighting against Ares and Ares is trying to corrupt her with war, um, with the effects, like the, the losses that she's suffering and the, the devastation. He's trying to corrupt Diana and turn her cruel and, and into a weapon of his, um, that he can wield. And so she's fighting this battle um, and it's within her mind. That's the way that I interpret it, like on the more allegorical level you know um and that's also like something that everyone is like uh, speaking of the 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 two wolves you know the cherokee tale of the two wolves Mm -hmm. um that's also like the psychological battle that's inside everyone so yeah the i love that these um these um supporting characters have such important lines um to the themes of the film I, I can see that. That's 
I, it's really interesting to think of all the allegories in this, and not just the obvious ones, but the like ones that are underneath the surface level. Um, yeah, and I some other things that I like is I wanted to uh, what I saw the uh, Justice League cartoon growing up, and Wonder Woman was in it. She has superpowers, and I was like, "Why are you wearing armor if if you guys have superpowers?" And I like that it's just uh, Diana that has the superpowers. Yeah, so um, in the film, the, her powers are a little bit vague at times, but um, she, she does get hit by a bullet. Um, in the beach battle, when Antiope dives in front of her to take that bullet, mm-hmm. it goes, through, it goes through, um, through Antiope, and you see it grazing Diana's arm. And as she's like kneeling down beside Antiope, you've got this cut on her arm that mirrors like Antiope's got this hectic scar on her on her shoulder as well. Um, but so yeah, bullets can can harm her. That's why she needs to use the bracelets to sort of block. Um, but I think like blunt objects, she can take like a heavy hit. Um, so like when Ares throws her into a tank, that blunt force is not gonna that's not gonna affect her. But like piercing things can affect her. It's just vague enough so that she's at risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are genuine stakes. Um, Like when she's going across no man's land, it's not like she's bulletproof, you know? Like some people have complained that, um, like, why don't they shoot her legs? But, you know, bullets travel in a pretty straight line. So you need to have line of sight to be able to shoot someone. So the, the obvious target would be the head and the shoulders and the chest because those would stick highest above the, the debris that's on the, the battlefield. And also, so if that's, you're at a battlefield and someone you're shooting at is blocking bullets with her arms, you're not thinking rationally. Yeah. <laughs> there, were actually, um, there were actually stories of... Um, it was a hoax that was um, by soldiers in the, in the war. It was called the, the Angels of Mons. Um, that was where the soldiers said that they saw angels on the battlefield and helped them. And it spread like wildfire. But like later on, it was obviously they came out um, and just said that no, it was just a hoax that they that they put forward. But um, so like this idea of this angel that like comes into the battle, it's, it's kind of cool that they did something that referenced that uh, that real life um, mythology, you know, like that legend of the battlefield. Uh, I I like that and. This stuff happens all the time. Like every time someone lands in Area Fifty One or whatever, like if if someone dressed in that armor was blocking bullets and protecting me as we cross No Man's Land, I'd be like, "It's a fucking angel, dude." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I really like it. I like the um when she's fighting who she thinks is Ares, and he's just like, "I have no idea what the hell's going on." And then she grabs him with her lasso and throws him up and then just pulls him back down. It was a really cool fight. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the fight against Ludendorff in the tower. Yeah. The, yeah, for me, for me I, I just love, and I've listened to, uh, yeah, I love this movie. I've listened to, like, every commentary of, of the movie that someone has put out, I've, like, listened to and watched the movie with it. So, and, like, no one has ever spoken about the punch that she does in there. Like, she does this block, um, block, and she pirouettes, and then she punches Ludendorff, and he flies across, and he, and he hits into, like, the, 
the wall or sort of like the frame of the door. And it's just, it's such a cool looking punch. <laughs> and nobody ever talks about it. It's like my, my favorite, uh, well, not my favorite, but like one of my favorite um, action moments in that, in that fight. Um, and then they do this, um, it's called a scissor kick, uh, where she kicks him through the wall. Um, that was the first time, apparently, that someone had done a scissor kick of someone through a wall um, on film. That's so, cool. The, yeah, I think the, the, the stunt crew really deserves some credit for this film because they did a lot of stuff practically. Um, like the beach battle scene, um, that was shot um, in, it was a composite. So I think they shot like nine layers of um, soldiers and, and Amazons in the foreground in different layers. And then they composited it together. They, they um, blended it all together so that it would look like a bigger battle than it was. And they built like this, this I don't know, it's like a 400 meter long rig mm-hmm. where they had the cameras um, that could uh, f- fly alongside the, the horses. And it had to be programmed to do the same exact movement every single time so that it would match up with the compositing. And so like they were doing some innovations and um, technical things behind the scenes as well as this epic stunt work. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool to see things that are just not completely CGI, you know, like there's, there's a lot of stunt work that was done in this movie. And um, I think they, they won the MTV. Um, there isn't like an Oscar for, for stunt work. And I really think there should be. I think there should also be, yeah. um, For Andy Serkis. I mean, for his, (laughs) his, uh, Performance capture is like, how does he not have an Oscar already? That's like, that, that's a, a big issue for me. Like, I, I'm like very upset with the Oscars <laughs> for, for him, like not getting any recognition for his like incredible body of work. Um, and also for stunt work as well, because like without the stunt people, everything would just be CGI. And generally the CGI is not very good um, with having like weight to it. Um, in terms of like when there are fight scenes and you see people flying around, the the the, the impacts they just seem to be lacking a little bit. Um, so I, I appreciate that they did a lot of stuff practically. I think they had um, fifty horses and uh-huh. um, like one hundred and fifty Amazons um, that were either like background extras, action extras, or stunt people. Um, they had a lot of athletes. Um, like Anne Wolf um, plays Artemis. Um, the really um, built Amazon that's on the platform. When, when Diana first arrives to, to watch the Amazons uh, fighting, uh, uh, the, the opening scene where she runs away from a tutor and she's standing on top of that um, sort of uh, balcony and she looks down on the Amazons. Um, Artemis is the really strong one where people are like coming left, right and center and attacking her and she's like just like knocking everyone away. Um, she's a world, Yeah, she's a, a, like a world champion boxer. Oh, nice. Um, I think she's retired now. Um, Brooke Entz um, was another one of the really muscular, strong Amazons in, in the background, um, lifting and carrying things around. Um, there's so many of them are like triathletes or, uh, yes, obviously stunt people. Horse riders, uh, L- Little Diana, um, Lily Aspel, who plays the eight-year-old version of Diana. Mm-hmm. She's uh, a champion horse rider. And... Um, so yeah, I mean, it was really awesome to see um, women depicted on film in this unique way. I, I don't think it's been done on this scale 
ever. There's, there's usually like one, there's like, it's, it's hard to say, but I like that um, not only one type of woman was here, there was like tons of, of people there. Yeah. Uh, different races, um, ethnicities. Um, so yeah, the, the, the representation of the Amazons was really awesome. Um, a lot of people just want to see a, a purely Amazon movie. I would actually like to see a prequel uh, movie because in the history lesson sequence, there are a couple of sections that are cut out. If you listen carefully to the, to, um, the storytelling, and actually, before I get into that, the, the, I don't know if you, how many times you've watched the film. I've watched but, it about four um, times. Okay. In the history lesson sequence, the first couple of times that I, listened, that I watched it, I didn't realize that part of the history lesson is told by Hippolyta and part of the history lesson is taught by Antiope. Um, I only but caught that on later. Is, is one of them uh, the one that teaches her how to fight? Yeah, yeah. Antiope is the aunt that teaches her to fight. Oh, that's um, cool. In secret. And the, her mother. So, like, uh, Hippolyta is. Uh, so, there's some subtlety in the storytelling there because um, Hippolyta is telling her not a full story. Um, she's telling her a sanitized version of the story. And, and, and Antiope is like putting in these other details that, that Diana's not supposed to know about. So, um, she's getting a, a more full picture of the history lesson. Uh, by by listening to both of them, um, She's because the uh, best aunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can look at uh, they, they both sort of like Diana's parents. Obviously, Hippolyta is her biological parent, but um, Antiope being her aunt and a very close mother figure to her as well. And um, people have described Hippolyta as being a shield and Antiope as being a sword. And that, uh, so um, she needed both when she was fighting. Yeah, yeah, uh, but at at the end, eventually she will lose um, the sword. Um, but so yeah, she's yeah. Hippolyta is the the mother who's seeking to protect her um, by shielding her from the outside world, and um, Antiope is the one who's trying to prepare her for battle, um, so that when the battle does come, because it will always come, she must be ready. Um, so you've got these contrasting. Um, approaches to parenting you know, embodying these two different characters i appreciate that and, and it's a silly thing to think about but when the story happened where they were like and then uh and then the god of death uh started fighting the other gods and started killing all of them and then zeus had to send him away because um because of that it reminded me of the of a scene in um, Star Trek, where Worf says, "We don't have gods. There were too much trouble, so we killed them." I I, I can't admit that it's been a very long time since I've watched the Star Trek films. Um, I'm probably going to do like a towards the end of the year. I'll do like a a marathon of all the Star Trek films, <laughs> but I don't know it offhand. But uh, um, yeah. It, I my I think about weird stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's a, the great thing about film is because everyone comes to films with their own um, prior like experience of films and memories, and sometimes coming to the same film at a different time in a different state of mind, and you'll see like different things, you know. Oh yeah, uh, so, the, 
biggest thing that that happened with me was the Adams Family movies. Okay. Have you seen them? I have seen them a long time ago. I, I, like after, I'd say after um, 2016. So like the year that Moonlight, Moonlight won um, Best Picture. Um, so that would be 2017. I, I really got heavily into cinema after that. Oh, nice. Um, so, but yeah, I haven't wa- rewatched a lot of films. I got, I've got like hundreds of stuff on uh, films on Blu-ray and DVD, but um, I haven't rewatched all of them like recently because once you, once you start to study cinema, you you pick up a lot more, you know. Um, One of the um, reasons that I started this podcast was to. Um, was so that I could watch new movies and could experience different points of view around cinema. Yeah, I think the the discussion is so it's so valuable because you you always um, you when you watch something you might get into a rhythm of watching it and you always see the same things. But as soon as you speak to someone else, you you discover new things and it it, it brings a new appreciation to the films. I I really like that, and I like uh, hearing different perspectives about that. But specifically with Adam's family, uh, I I was researching the uh, Wonder Woman, um, the reason that it got made, and the how the comics got started, and it's really interesting to hear about this guy's uh, romantic relationships. And uh, yeah, um, and with Adam's family. Um, when you're a kid, you watch that and you're like, <laughs> it's funny and it's spooky and stuff. And uh, Wednesday's pretty neat. And when you're an adult, it's way better <laughs> because they have oh, a yeah. BSM relationship and, uh, and Wednesday's just, just everyone's spirit animal. Yeah, yeah, you can see, you can, you can definitely appreciate different things in the films when you um, rewatch them with uh, an older, wiser set of eyes. <laughs> Coming back to the history lesson sequence, um, yeah, I, I love the the art style that they they decided to um, incorporate this uh, baroque um, painting style to the to the images, um, and um, so there's there's some influence from the uh, obviously the um, Renaissance painters and like uh, Rubens, um, the fall of Phaeton. Um, where, where Zeus like strikes um, Ares and Ares falls. Um, that is kind of like Phaeton was, uh, I think he stole his father's chariot, um, which was supposed to draw the, sc- the, the sun across the sky. And it ended up setting the earth on fire, which oh, ties no. to the end of the film. Um, at the end of the film, Ares, um, Ares and Dinah's fighting, uh, it brings fire down onto the ground and there's, they're basically in this inferno where the, the final battle takes place. And um, Ares, uh, well, Zeus strikes Ares in the same way that um, Zeus um, strikes Phaeton in the Rubens painting and then he falls to the ground dead. Um, so that's it's kind of mirrored in the, in the final battle and also in the history lesson sequence that, that, um, that sort of sets it up in terms of the image. You've got Zeus on the top left Aries on the on the bottom right and the lightning um, bolt coming from above um, hitting Aries and dispatching him sort of neutralizing him and that's exactly how Diana defeats Aries in the final battle 
I I really like the the fact that there was a twist on who Ares is because that's oh, okay. way too obvious. And it's like I well, yeah. And but I thought that it would be the Doctor of Death. Yeah, that would have been. I I kind of heard early on that uh, David Thewlis was going to be playing Ares, so I, I I had that sort of thing spoiled for me. But I decided to take my mom and dad um, to the to the opening, the IMAX opening for Wonder Woman, and they I looked across at them when when the Ares reveal the reveal happened, and they were like totally blown away. It's like, oh my word, I never thought it was him. <laughs> I got so it. Did- I brought in the baggage that the guy was, uh, that it was Lupin from Harry Potter. It's like, yeah. no, I liked you from that other movie. Yeah, so uh, there's actually, there's quite a bit of, um, yeah, there's so many moments in this movie that point to him being Ares. Um, there's, in the bar scene, um, mm-hmm. well, actually, um, another interesting thing, when Diana and Steve are confronted in the alleyway by um, the, the German spies that have followed Steve, um, they, um, they start this fight and the glasses that, that Diana wears get knocked off and one of the guys steps on it. And this is just before they go to parliament and um, then Diana is unable to recognize um, him as being Ares when she sees him speaking. Um, so there's like the subtle like stuff in the screenplay that's setting up that she's not able to see because glasses are there to help you to see, you uh-huh. know, and like the, the glasses were broken in the alleyway. So when she went to see Lu, uh, Lu, uh, not Lundorf, um, Sir Patrick Morgan as um, who is Aries, she wasn't able to recognize him as Aries. Um, it's clever. And um, yeah, it's 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 super super subtle, <laughs> but it's it's yeah, it's it's stuff that that the the writers they don't get enough credit for. They 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 plant so many things, and it's like everything is normally attributed to the director or um or to the actors. Like when it comes to films, like writing is very very important. And um yeah, another thing, this was from the director this time in the bar scene. Um, there's a song that's playing and it's a very difficult song to hear because the, the lyrics are, it's, it's um, on a gramophone and it's a, a song called Molly O'Morgan. And this is like a traditional Irish uh, song or like a like British song about this woman who comes to London and she's looking for a guy. And, um, but she's like continuously, she can't find him. And it's O'Morgan and... So the, the the song is called Molly or Morgan, and um, obviously the girl is Molly, and her husband is presumably O Morgan, and Sir Patrick Morgan is the guy who's Aries, and Diana oh. is like she, so, so there's like it's like super 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 subtle, but oh, it's God there. It. <laughs> That's fight club level of bullshit foreshadowing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he also walks with a, a staff. Um, like in the in the opening scene, like when Diana walks, um, she's outside the Louvre, mm-hmm. and she comes into the into um, into the building, and then they cut to um, via cinema magic. They cut to the British Museum, and you see like the the shot of Diana's feet walking across the frame, and then she walks, and you see a, a shot from her behind. As she enters the 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 museum. 
she walks in front of like a statue where there's three figures that are holding hands. And these three figures are um, the Egyptian goddess of love, the Egyptian god of war, and one of the uh, pharaohs. So uh, like a human. So you've got the god of love, the god of war, and a human. And that's what the, the movie is about. And, um, and you've, and the, one of the key things of like the way that this God of War is depicted, Montura is, is always wearing, holding this uh, was scepter, which is like a, a scepter with like a little hook. If you look, um, I remember from school, we had these uh, window poles, you know, like to open the windows that are really high up. It's got like this um, um, sort of like an offset S hook shape on the top uh-huh. to, um, to open the, the windows that are like really high. So the was scepter looks like that. And um, obviously, Patrick, um, Sir Patrick Morgan walks around with a walking stick. So that's like, that's normally a, a sign for like a bad guy, like walking around with a scepter, you know, like this, this, uh, this uh, scepter of power, you know, like it's a, it's a very common symbol of bad guys in movies. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that sets him up. And, and like the last thing that really nails the, the last nail in the coffin is when um, they speak on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, to Etta Candy after they save the village and you've got this uh, focus rack. She's talking in the foreground and he's in the background and when he hears that they're talking about uh, going to German high command then you have this hard focus rack to him and then he's in focus and it's like that's the last hint that you need <laughs> to, to say that he is actually Aries. I I really like what that Diana thinks that the reason that the World War One happened was because Ares coordinated the whole thing. And obviously humans wouldn't do that. He's just tempting them. And, yeah, so- and it turns out that, no, nah, we're just kind of assholes. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> that, that, that actually leads into like um, probably my second favorite scene in the movie is on the, the top of the watchtower. Just after Diana's killed uh, Ludendorff and the war doesn't stop. She's got this meditative moment. She like looks up and closes her eyes. And then um, you've got um, visual storytelling or audio uh, storytelling where you've got um, the guns that are still um, banging in the background, you know, in the back. Uh, That's sort of like a callback to when they were at the fireplace with Chief Mm -hmm. and Diana doesn't know what the thunder is. You know, and he says, um, I think it's German 77s, you know, like 77 mole um, guns that are firing in the background. It sounds like thunder. And you've got this audio callback. It's like, it's beautiful the way that they, they did that reveal that the war is not over um, with that sound. It's like a callback to that moment that Diana had with, with um, Chief. And then you have Steve arriving. Um, in, he climbs up the ladder and he's like worried about Diana. He sees the sword through the ceiling. And then um, he comes outside and yeah, then you have that discussion with that. And, um, and then she, she says, my mother was right. You know, uh, the people don't deserve our help. And it was like, that was so devastating for me. Like, cause you, you're so invested with this character. You've like followed her through the trenches. Literally you've like followed her from a child. Um, she leaves home. She's gone through the trenches and she's done what she thinks she needs to do. And it was like a fool's errand. <laughs> it's like pretty that, devastating. Not only that, but in that scene, 
she in the scene where she leaves her mother's like if you leave you can never come back so she sacrificed everything to try and help her to try and help people yeah and uh she feels like a failure in that scene yeah that 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 for me is another like probably there's this is my favorite movie of all time because there's so many incredible scenes in this movie um i'm trying to get my list of scenes here i thought i had listed it but um so yeah the where she leaves uh, Themyscira, that is such a beautiful scene um um where her mother she's like kind of sneaking off in the night like a thief and then her mother arrives on the on the beach and like you can see that there's going to be some tension here because she didn't even say goodbye to her mother you know it's like she's just like sneaking off in the night and then she like confronts her mother about you know i want if no one will stand up um against Ares, then i will you know like uh she's making a decision to um yeah to leave but she she invokes like her mother's heroism because she's heard stories about how her mother was this leader and um even like the, the first scene of, of Themyscira when you've got Diana running towards the camera, little Diana, mm-hmm. you switch to a wide shot and you see the whole market. And in the background, there's this giant statue. Like Diana's this tiny little speck that's running at the bottom of the screen. And there's this giant statue at the back of her mother, Hippolyta, holding the sword of victory up, you know? And so like she's, she idolizes her mother and she wants to be like her. And um, so, yeah, I mean, then the yeah that particular scene closes out with um uh Hippolyta gives the the tiara uh to um to Diana and Hipp- uh, that's uh, Antiope's tiara so there's this so much meaning a- a- attached to these um these props that are used in the film um so that's given to her and she says you have been my greatest love today you are my greatest sorrow and it's like that just I was a puddle man. <laughs> that uh, yeah, it's it's such a, a human, such a human moment, you know, like leaving home and but yeah, with the the highest stakes of that, she can never go back. Um, yeah, it's a pretty incredible scene. Um, and yeah, you've got this other scene in in the in the watchtower uh, where she comes to realize that um, yeah, humanity is flawed, you know, and uh she has to pick herself up she she takes a moment she's not like she's instantly over the fact that she's like given up paradise and um sacrificed all of that for people that don't deserve it she has to come around to what is what are her values you know like uh, steve says um it's not about deserve it's about what you believe and um so yeah i mean that's another so you've got oh my word this movie's got so much stuff that ties together like in the in the the staging of the scenes of the earlier scenes there's like things that are planted things that are subtle and stuff that's in the background and uh-huh. all of that stuff pays off later on in the film and then you've got dialogue as well that pays off later on in the film you've got like sounds and music choices and things that are all super subtle and it all pays off later in the film it's yeah it's just so incredibly constructed i uh I really like the fact that she grabs the sword. She's like, cool, got my sword. And then she eyes that armor and she's like, all right, I'll take the armor. Yeah. And, and the, the armor, armor is deliberately 
Sorry? <coughs> she doesn't need that armor. She could, he had her own armor, but she's like, yeah, I want that armor. That armor was Yeah. And it was, it was also kept in the foreground and out of focus. So it's like, it's, it's sort of like a tease, you know, like um, the director, Patty Jenkins, has sort of um, seduced us into this movie, you know, like she's like put these little crumbs here and there. Um, and then later on, when you have the actual reveal, it's like super satisfying, you know, <laughs> like, cause like you, 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 you get the sense that, Oh, Oh, that that's coming. That's coming, but not yet. You know, like not yet. I think and then when she does, it all trench. builds up to the, tr- to the trench, to no man's land. That's when we first get yeah. a sign of her full power. Yeah. That's the, the, the full reveal of the costume. And so, yeah, there were um, elements also like in the scene where, where she comes back after getting the armor and changing into it. And she comes back to meet Steve at the infirmary. Um, Steve, who's above average. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite penis joke of all time. <laughs> and it's extended in the, in the scene. <laughs> I, I appreciate that they, that he, she goes, what's that? Uh, talking about his watch. And he's like, That's, um, uh, that's a watch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so the uh, yeah the, that scene is like also brilliant uh because um they they start talking about um the watch and what time means and then at the end of the film when she gets the watch from steve it all pays off because she finally understands that like for, for mortals like time is precious you know um yeah, but yeah like, that why do you let um uh, that little thing tell you what to do <laughs> tell you what to do and it's because uh we are mortal so we let we have to allow time to be part of our lives yeah it's it's much and, oh, talking about this it's like it's not just a joke it's much more symbolic than that yes it's 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 not a cheap throwaway line there's so much in the writing of this film it's like so well put together um like people might complain about like superficial things like cgi and whether luden and not luden of whether aries should have a mustache or not you know like if people you're complaining argue about, about the aries mustache just look what happened when they removed superman so let him have one yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah the um yeah there's so much in the writing uh, like in the staging of that scene going back to the infirmary mm-hmm. when when they're talking about um, doing something versus doing nothing, if you look at the way that Steve is framed, you've got um, Steve in the center of frame, and on the left-hand side behind him on the wall, there's this little um, cut-out piece of wall, and there's this black urn. And urns are generally thought of as representing death, you know? And on the other side of Steve um, is the, the waterfall, in the background. So like, these are the two choices that Diana has to, to choose between. Like, does she go out into the world um, and face death with Steve? Or does she remain in Themyscira with the waterfall? So it's like, he's talking about doing something versus doing nothing. And on the left-hand side, you've got doing something and it's going to be hard. It's going to be, you're going to have to confront death. And on the other side is like you live in paradise forever and you, um, yeah, I mean, you've got the waterfalls and everything looks good. I, and 
I yeah like that paradise sounds amazing but it's like but she's been driven to uh she's been it's, raised by her aunt to uh to, to believe that uh people are worth saving yeah so like you've got this she's got heroic character and um she she makes the choice that you would want a hero to 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 make and like also looking at that shot of Steve um, juxtaposed like between these uh, the urn and the waterfall, the reverse shot of that is of Diana, and you've in in the infirmary there's a lot of these glass jars with the blue glowing water, oh. and Diana's juxtaposed with that glass with the glowing water, and um, so that is sort of like a symbol of her divinity, because. Um, in terms of like you can think of it as being lightning in a bottle you mm-hmm. know her being the daughter of zeus and all <laughs> <laughs> so you've got her juxtaposed with steve and the choices are like on the, on the two hands of steve you know do something versus do nothing it's it's it's, it's genius it's beautiful it's like wow <laughs> it, uh, she could uh it could easily have followed the uh uh chosen one narrative because she's the daughter of Zeus. Zeus gave her uh, life because her mother made her out of clay. I can't emphasize how silly that is, but it works so well because it's just like, it's magic. At, at some point, yeah. you just have to say, it's magic, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but she's made out of clay. Yeah, in, in the, yeah, there's different stories, there's different origins. You've got the, the, the biological, um, the biological root where it's uh, the daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta, which is what the story does, uh, what the, the film does. And you've also got the sculpted from clay and brought to life by the goddesses or the gods um, that's from the comics as well. And um, so they did, they, they did a bit of both in the movie. They made they, Zeus they, be the one to give her life. Yeah. So the, yeah, the movie is the, the biological um, method of, of her coming into existence sort versus, of. yeah, but her mother, when she's a child, her mother tells her the clay story. I um, think, but, yeah. that, I think that that story is true. Zeus gave her life, uh, and the power to defeat, yeah, it, it, you can, you, you can have it both ways, you can, um, because. In, in, in the animated movie from 2009, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, Hippolyta does sculpt her from clay and then Zeus brings her to life with a lightning bolt. And I never she, like, doubted that that was true. Do you think it's not? It's, it's ambiguous. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Zeus, Zeus is a <laughs> god, so he doesn't need to... He, he, he's way above average, put it that way. <laughs> he can use lightning. <laughs> I, appreciate, um, I appreciate that he basically makes Diana she, uh, t- in order to defeat Ares. So that's like a long-term plan. Yeah. Um, the, what's interesting is um, so when, when they say, so Zeus left us a weapon, one powerful enough to defeat a god. Um, they have Zeus in the position of Michelangelo's um, uh, the creation of Adam the, from the Sistine Chapel, where uh-huh. he's like leaning over and pointing. So that that's a hint that um, that Diana is the God killer. Um, 
so from the history lesson sequence, you've got this hint from based on like um, the Renaissance art and the the adaptation of that into the into the history lessons sequence art. Um, you've got this hint that Diana is the God Killer, not the sword, uh, because when they talk about the God Killer, um, they have this a motif of him pointing and the light coming down, and that is the God Killer. I'm not gonna lie; I missed all of that when I saw it. Obviously, yeah. At the, but, at the end, um, but I knew the that she was the God Killer, and not the sword, because okay, I've seen enough of these to know that twist was coming. Okay. Uh, it, it's interesting how um, how much you you pick up when you watch movies like this. Um, like I knew that she'd be the chosen one. I didn't know that Lupin would be the bad guy because I love because I love uh, that character. But it yeah. doesn't matter because it's done so well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One of the other things that I I've mentioned a couple of scenes that I really love already. Um, <laughs> I've probably got like 13 scenes in this movie that are like my favorite <laughs> scenes of all time. <laughs> but I, what I really love is um, the diving rescue. So when Steve's plane crashes and then Diana dives into the water and saves him. Um, oh, that was a great shot. It's beautiful, but it also ties into the end of the movie. Um, so like when Steve is shown entering Themyscira, he's like on the top right of frame and he's in a plane. And then he's, he comes downwards towards the center of frame, towards Diana. Diana's sort of middle right of the frame. So he's coming towards her, and then he crashes into the water, and then he starts sinking. And he's trapped in the plane. He looks over his shoulder, and um, he's looking up for, like, someone to save him. And as he's looking, like, um, up towards the light, in the back, like, on the sides of the, of the plane, you've got these bombs um you saw like when when steve escaped from the the ottoman empire he had that plane and he turned to the side and he dropped a bomb so that's how the, those world war one bombers actually used to drop bombs like the, the early uh, iterations of, of of aerial bombing but yeah so he's being pulled under the water and he and he looks over his shoulder and this is like exactly mirrored when um, Diana's fighting Ares at the end of the film. You've got the track plates from the tank. Mm -hmm. um, Ares uses that. He binds Diana and he pulls her to the ground. So it's the, the, the debris of a weapon of war that's pulling her to the ground. And then you've got the scene where Diana's lying on the ground and she's on the right of the frame and Steve is in a plane and he's going up towards the top right of the frame. So it's like completely flipping that whole situation around. And then Steve looks over his shoulder and he sees the bombs behind him. And that's when he has to make a choice, you know, do something or do nothing. Um, so like, it's like poetic how Diana's, like the way that Steve enters Diana's life is like completely mirrored to the way that he leaves her life. I, I really, oh God. It's beautiful. So poetically. It's yeah, so and I, I've, I've read the, the, the screenplay mm -hmm. and the, this stuff is not actually um, worded out like that. So this was all from the director. And what's even more incredible about this is that Patty Jenkins, um, her father was an Air Force pilot for the, for the US. And he died while he was in service. And so I see this sort of as sort of like a wish fulfillment 
on her part, you know, like, obviously it's the, the, the story's written out, but there's definitely elements that of like her wanting to have someone save her father. And perhaps she has memories of like standing on the side of an airfield and watching her father go away for like the last time. Oh, so it's sad. like, wow. Yeah. So yeah. People sometimes accuse this film of ripping off Captain America um, because there are parallels to to lots of films, not just to Captain America. I didn't just this see film. Captain America. I saw like Superman and... Yeah, yeah. The, there's, there's a lot of homage. But yeah, it's it's really... It's, it's annoying to me when people try to reduce this film to being just a ripoff of Captain America. There's so much to this film. It's like... I could I could literally talk for days about this. We've already been going on for over an hour, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, about that. And but like, we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> we barely scratched we the surface. Going. So like, we can yeah. go. I'm into it. Um, I, uh, but with Captain America, Captain America is very similar to a movie called The Rocketeer. Yeah, yeah. And it's done by the same directors as The Rocketeer. It's like The Rocketeer yeah. on a budget. So like everything is related to everything or everything else. It doesn't matter. What matters is how you do it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean the the, the there's yeah, there's so much love and attention paid to the character of, of Wonder Woman and it was so important because this is the first film. If they screwed this up, this would have changed cinema. If this if this movie was bad, it would have set everything back. How many years? You know, like after this movie came out, all of a sudden, oh, Captain, Captain Marvel is going to be made. Oh, all of a sudden, Birds of Prey is going to be made. All of a sudden, it looks like um, Marvel is going to make an A-Force uh, film. Um, it's, and, not that, uh, um, it's not that Captain Marvel... I think Captain Marvel is already going to be made no matter what. But because this movie was so successful, just because Captain Marvel wasn't, doesn't mean that all female-led superhero movies are now cancelled, because this one had like. Built- I think it. I didn't think it would be cancelled, but they wouldn't have been given as big a budget as they potentially can now, because the the film had proved this film has proved that there's a market for it and that studios can put some decent money into this. Though I, I consider the Wonder Woman film to be slightly under budgeted. Like, if you compare it to the other films in the in the franchise, mm-hmm. um, uh, Man of Steel had a two hundred and twenty five million dollar budget. Uh, um, Batman v Superman, which is a, a it's a longer film, it's a three hour film, so that had a two hundred and fifty million dollar budget, and Wonder Woman was a hundred and fifty. So it's like significantly less than um, films that are in in the same franchise. I think Aquaman had a two hundred mil budget. So I, I do consider this film to be slightly under budgeted compared to the others. So hopefully this, the sequel has like as much budget as Patty Jenkins wants, because I think you did a fantastic job. I with this think film. that um, with the budget, the only thing that could have been improved if you had a higher budget is the CGI on Ares. But other than that, like you didn't need a bigger budget. I think they they could have um, also done some more reshoots because there was some um, inconsistency, like there's some continuity errors and some inconsistent lighting, especially with the auto scenes. Um, so they could have done that better. Um, it's probably not something that the general audience will pick up on, 
but no, it's only something that you'd like awards. watch it 50 times and it's your favorite movie. For like awards, <laughs> for awards consideration, you have to, if you want to get a cinematography a nomination, you have to, your cinematography should really be like spot on. So like some of the outdoor scenes, the lighting is too inconsistent um, from my perspective. Okay. Um, I don't really so if they had, focus if they on had a bigger budget and they could have um, had reshoots to do. Yeah. Cause if you have to hit your, your production release um, schedule, you have limited time. So you, you have to be able to book venues, um, locations and stuff and be able to do all of your shots and have backups. And yeah. So I think a bigger budget would have helped. Um, even if it's maybe just another 20 mil, that, that could have been a significant enough difference to like really um, iron out some of those issues. Fair enough. I, I don't think that those issues are like a budget thing. I think they're just uh, something that happens. But yeah, reshoots might have, might have helped with some of them. Um, yeah. there, there's, uh, do you watch any Kevin Smith films? I've seen some of his films quite a while ago. Um, um, but yeah, like like I said, I've I, I have got so many films that I haven't. That's I've gotten enough. them and I've watched them long ago, but I haven't rewatched them recently. Kevin Smith has a podcast, uh, and when Stan Lee died, he talked about um, Stan Lee on his podcast. Yeah, and he and uh, Stan Lee was in uh, More Rats, and yeah, yeah. One of the things that happened was that Stanley gave this uh, started walking off on like stage right and then he uh, gave this big speech which was perfect and then he walked off on stage left the opposite direction to the way he was originally walking out and then his uh the assistant director was like do you want him to do that again he's like fuck no that was perfect <laughs> so sometimes you just gotta let that uh let those little things slide yeah yeah so but, but sometimes you can if you have enough footage you can also edit it right you know like you can change the way that something is sequenced or maybe you could just shoot a different angle of some some someone else's reaction and then cut to the right thing you know so like so like some there are there are situations or, or means that are available but some you need to have a budget for it um so like having a really tight budget is a problem true but like having an over budget is also a problem because it's like, what are you going to yeah, do with yeah. that money? You got to get the right balance. And that's for like smarter people than us to work out. Yeah. Uh, um, this has been fun. This, I, I think that, I think we've covered everything. Uh, this has been really fun. It was interesting to uh, look at this movie with you. Oh, thanks for having me on. I could re I could literally talk for uh, another twenty or thirty hours about this movie. Because, I know, yeah. which is why I'm cutting us off. <laughs> we got to keep yeah. things under a time. Uh, it's been yeah. really fun talking with you, Omish. Um, Omish, yeah. Uh, I I really like it, and if you um, if you ever want to come back, I'm more than happy to have you back on we can talk about wonder woman 2 if you like when that finally comes out okay <laughs> well that's coming out next year in june so may we can maybe do something before then but sure. um yeah I, I i love hearing from you and also your your other guests on your podcast um so yeah definitely 
Okay. Um, do you have uh, any social media or anything? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Prime Earth Mook. Prime Earth Mook. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Aussie Nerds Pod. On Facebook, Aussie Nerds. Subscribe to this. Each week I talk to someone about their favorite movie. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter and I'll talk to you. Uh, we'll sort something out. It was fun. That's how we got connected. You tweeted me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's fun. I'm still working on that classics movie month. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I've reached out to a few people. So, but I just got to track them down. Getting old movies online is a nightmare. Um, yeah, I've, I've also gotten into quite a lot of the classics, but um, I'm doing it more from a world cinema perspective. So I'm looking into a lot of Japanese films at the moment. Uh, um, I suggest, if you're doing that, I suggest uh, doing a movie called M, which was made just... Fritz Lang. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seen it? I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my watch list. Fritz Lang's M came out just before World War II, and it was made in Germany. And it was uh, very angry at the way the government was run. Okay. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to see that perspective just before World War II. Okay. Uh, I, it's been fun. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>